when you want to integrate the children into the business that you're trying that you're looking into, don't overwhelm them. So for instance, my husband, he grew up where his parents like owned a little bakery and then he had to go there a lot. He resented it. And he says that to this day, like, I hate it. He doesn't even like the smell of bakery. Like who can hate the smell of donuts? But <laughs> That is because he felt like, you know, I was forced here. I always, I spent my weekends here. So don't try to like go at it too much. Like give them a little taste. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Hey guys, Neil here. Uh, before we get to this week's show, I want to make you an offer. You can do a video chat with me. It's completely free. There's no pitch. This is not a sales pitch. I don't have any kind of a mentoring program. I'm not selling anything. This is literally just a way for me to connect with other real estate investors and being a working, a working dad with uh, a son at home, this is much easier for me to do than trying to go to a couple of real estate meetups a week. So again, if you're interested, anything you want to talk about, if you're an experienced investor, a brand new investor, we can talk about anything and everything you want to talk about with uh, real estate investing. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash connect and uh, fill out the, the form there to schedule a call. And I look forward to speaking with you. So let's get to the show. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest this week is a seasoned real estate investor from Chicago, a serial entrepreneur, and the founder of Little Owners, a company dedicated to educating kids on the various paths to career and entrepreneurial success. Ponji Barnes, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's good to have you. We, we've been following you on Instagram for a while, and Brittany was the one who said, we have to have this person on. <laughs> I think it's a... Uh... It's just a fun subject. You know, we, we talk to a lot of adult <laughs> real estate people, but we haven't really, you know, but we're a family podcast and we haven't really talked about kids much because unfortunately a lot of the investors aren't actually parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be interesting to talk to someone who's an investor, a parent, and then also is involving their kids. So I'm yeah. excited. So you started investing in 2005 while you were still in college. Yeah. Can you tell us the story of how you started investing in real estate and and please include the part where you lost money on your first flip? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So um, when I was in college, I was broke like every college student. And so, but at the time, this was a hot market in, in terms of real estate, right? So basically when I was in college, I was looking at like flip this house and all these crazy like reality, like home renovations uh, shows. And so I was like, they're making it seem like you can get a hundred K off of putting new carpet in a place. Like I can do this. So I was naive and like, I was like, okay, we can. Um, so I talked to my husband 
who was my boyfriend at the time, and we decided to buy a condo in Chicago while I was still in college. My college town was about four and a half hours away. And so over the summer, we bought something and then um, we wanted to flip it. So it w- it didn't need like a lot of work. So like more cosmetics. So we updated the countertops and updated the bathroom, I think, and maybe refinished the floors or whatever. And so we sold it within like maybe a year. So yeah, we bought in 2005, sold within 2006. But we actually wind up losing money on the flip. So that was pretty devastating. Um, What happened was I didn't realize that you need to know your numbers when you're flipping. And so I had a small margin. So I bought the property for like 145 and I sold it for like 165. But when you talk about special assessment fees that we didn't account for because they needed a new roof and a new boiler system on this big, huge condominium. And then also, you don't think about, you have to pay all these like, you know, closing cost fees and your agent and all everything. So next thing I know, we're celebrating selling the house and our attorney calls and they're like, you need to calm down here because we can't close unless you bring money. And I mean, we were just like, what? Like, yeah. So It was it was pretty awful. So obviously now um, we learned our lesson from that. But um, yeah, the first flip was not successful. So, so you you thought you were going to make maybe ten thousand dollars exactly exactly, and, and then but on the closing, the agent called and said, "Hey, you need to come down and write us a check for." Ele- I think it was eleven or twelve hundred dollars. Yep. So we actually had to bring money. Yeah. So yeah. It hurts my heart. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah. Every time I tell a story, I get upset about it again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, How did you move past that? Because you obviously continued doing some flips. Okay. So here's the thing. I was forced because when we were selling that one, we went and got a contract on another condo inside the same building. So this was a foreclosure. We had already gave our, our earnest money, already signed the contract. So we really didn't have a choice but to move on. But it actually worked out because this one we actually worked walked away with like over thirteen between thirteen and fifteen sixteen thousand something around that range. So then that re you know that put our faith back in real estate again because honestly had we not been under contract for the second one, I don't think that either one of us would have got back into real estate. I think we would have took that experience and pretty much chalked it up as real estate doesn't work. So I'm I'm thankful for that experience. So yeah, gotcha. And where did you go from there? I mean, you've obviously continued to do flips and you now, uh, uh, you also have some rentals as well, correct? Yeah. So our main focus is buy and hold. Um, we've been doing rentals for since 2012. We were doing um, a lot of flipping before then. And then we were flipping like annually. So like one flip a year. We didn't do one last year because we actually for the first time, took some money out of our rentals. We were actually um, just buying our rentals with cash. Just um, more so on the Dave Ramsey style of just buying real estate with no debt. So last year was our first time actually taking some cash out of one of our rentals and, you know, just going to reinvest that into buying more rentals. So that's where we are in terms of um, our real estate portfolio. So right now we have 13 doors. So 13 doors and most of them are, most of them have no debt on them? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Now you, that first buy and hold, talk to us about that numbers because we really, we really like the law, the first deal. Mm -hmm. What did that first buy and hold deal look like? How did you, what was the numbers on it? 
Okay, so that is a townhouse, and that was purchased for thirty thousand dollars. And we—that's another like cosmetic property where it's just kind of like we went in, took the carpet up, put more carpet in. I think we. No, we didn't change the kitchen cabinets. We put new countertops on there. So it was like maybe $5,000 or less that we put into the property. And then when I rented it, I rented it for $950 a month. And since then, that tenant has moved out. And that same property um, is being rented now for $1,350. Wow. Yeah. So the rents over there are pretty good. Yep. That's nice. And the, was that purchased uh, with cash? I mean, $3,500. Most most banks won't loan you less than... For exactly. Less than 50. So when we were flipping, we were just, you know, kind of like stockpiling cash. So when we see good deals, we were able to kind of um, capitalize off of it. And this property is considered an opportunity area in Chicago, meaning that when I rent to Section 8, because right now it's rented to a Section 8 tenant, they pay you more because they feel like you allow a tenant to live in a good neighborhood and have access to good schools and, you know, um, transportation and things like that. So that actually, that property is worth a lot more today. And I'm actually getting, you know, a good amount of rent on it and stuff. So, and also they actually give me a rebate on my property taxes. So they uh, actually deduct like five or $600 for the property taxes too. So. Gotcha. Yeah. And as I understand, a lot of property taxes in Illinois can be substantial. What I will say is if you're considering it, stay in Chicago. If you go in the suburbs, let's just say you're going to be looking at paying between like 8000 to like 15000 Now, mind you, some of these neighborhoods have the worst school system. So I'm telling you, you can buy a single half family for $30,000 with the worst school system and have to pay for your kids to go to private and your taxes will be like eight or $9,000. Like, I don't know how you can make that work. But yeah, it's, I feel bad for anybody that owns a home in those neighborhoods. You can't sell it. It's horrible. So yeah. All right. So how long ago was that purchase of that first one? Uh, that was 2012. Wow. Okay. And then have you continued to buy uh, long-term rentals? Yes. So, yep. We've just been continuing to buy. When we're looking now, but the market is just, I think it's just overpriced right now. It's, yeah, I'm sick of bidding wars. I'm, I'm just like over it. So, yeah, we are looking, but uh, I don't see anything, you know, even though the interest rates are low, I just still don't see any, you know, lucrative deals. So. Are all of your properties pretty much all cash? All cash, exactly. Like we just did a refinance on one of them last year, but all of them were paid off. Yep. That's a a very good position to be in right now. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. Uh Is everything in Chicago? Everything is in Chicago. We had one in the suburbs and we sold it because the property taxes were going up and it just didn't make any sense to keep it because it just, yeah, the property taxes in that suburb once again, a suburb where the school system sucks and the property taxes are high and the property values are not that high. So it just made sense for us to get rid of it. So, yeah. And do you self-manage your properties? We do. Now we had a property manager, but we, um, we fired both of them. We had one at one time that was like a really big um, management company um, that someone referred us to. But by us being small mom and pop landlords, you get lost in the sauce. Because that, I think they just have priorities for people to have 50, 100, you know, 200 units. And I just felt like we weren't being tended to. The second one, he was an agent and he was also a property manager and he seemed really good. But it was like he would call us when it was a problem 
and he'd say, can your husband go? And I just thought that was so weird. I'm like, oh, we're paying your mom to manage it. You find a handyman and you go and tell us how much it's going to be and we'll write the check. Like we're trying to reduce our, our workload. Yeah. So that was, that was weird. So now, you know, I'm still asking from referrals from people to, to get that. But yeah, right now we're, we're self-managing. Yeah. Gotcha. And Chicago is a fairly tenant friendly city. So that is the worst part about it. I mean, even when you talk about taking security deposits, we don't take them in Chicago because there are just too many gotcha rules to like make you pay these large fines if you don't pay back the interest within a year. Now we know what interest is in a savings account or checking account, right? It's like 0.001. But the government wants to like make you pay like two or $3,000 fine if you don't hand them over three cents on their little security deposit. So we have to do non-refundable move-in fees. And yes, when you talk about eviction, just carve out a whole year where you're going to lose money because wow. <laughs> it's insane um, how tenant-friendly this is. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. So what sort of things are you doing as a, as a do-it-yourself do landlord? What sort of things do you do to screen your tenants to try and like get rid of those, cut those problems off before they start? Yeah, so we have a really thorough screening process. And I will say that on average, it takes me two months to find a tenant. And I have no problem with that because, you know, we don't have mortgages, so I can, I can afford to wait it out. But um, I just think there's a lot of sketchy characters and professional um, tenants that you can get caught up with. And in this system, you don't want to. So we look at, I mean, I do a lot of Section 8, so I don't really harp on like the credit score. That's not a big thing for me. What I don't do is anybody with evictions. So even if you just got your Section 8 voucher, and you had evictions prior, I don't rent to you because I had that experience and someone had $28 in rent and didn't want to pay it. And they had an eviction in the past. So I learned my, that's just crazy though, but that you would jeopardize your, your voucher for something like that small amount in rent. Also just kind of like talking to their previous uh, landlord, which I don't think holds a lot of weight because I feel like sometimes they aren't even the real landlord. And I will admit that I've wanted to get rid of tenants before. And I've told the landlord that it was a great time. So yeah. that's why I feel like it doesn't hold a lot of water. Yeah. It's sort of like asking uh, real estate investors for, do you have a good contractor? Right. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I've got somebody, you know, I'm not going to give you my good guy. Down the line. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I, that doesn't hold a lot of weight, but we try to be as thorough as possible. Look, at their income, how long they've been on their job. Also, another thing for me is I don't like to see people who move often because for me, like my average tenant stays like four or five years. And so I'm not looking for someone that's going to be there a year. And then the next year, when, like I want somebody that's committed. So I love when people tell me I stayed there for like five or six years or 10 years because to me, you seem solid, you seem stable. So those are that's another thing I like. Yeah. And you are, you're full-time in real estate. Now. Yes. Yep. Yep. You don't have a, you don't have a day job and like that. So. Your husband my, husband also? Has, my husband has a uh, yes. Uh huh. He's like, I will quit when we get twenty doors, and then after that, he'll probably have a new goat pole. So he's just like, I like working and I like <laughs> the job. So yeah. yeah, that's okay if yep. it's not interfering with other goals. I mean, right? He's exactly. enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
problem. So what do you do when something goes wrong with a tenant, when that tenant does stop paying? Call my lawyer and get a, a, a five-day <laughs> notice because I just think the earlier you start in Chicago, the better chances you'll have of being able to get them out. I think if you drag your feet and try to like, it's hard. You can't have compassion in this business. I kind of feel like because it's just a business and people take advantage of that and we've been taken advantage of. So I think that the quicker you start the eviction process, it's just business, then the better. And then also, I just think that it kind of like solidifies you as like, you know, you mean business. I think if you kind of like drag your legs and let them give you all these excuses, the respect level, like, I just feel like they have less respect for you. So for me, I think serving that five day notice um, means business and then going along those steps of, you know, taking that next step to eviction. So yeah, even though it'll take a year, but you're in the system. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about kids and entrepreneurship and investing. Mm -hmm. What so was the origins for little owners? Okay. So I was asked to speak at a elementary school about entrepreneurship. So I was there talking to the children about what I do, kind of showing them like the before and afters and different things like that. And so they were just so fascinated. I was like so inspired by them. I was like, wow, like they really love this. So I thought about my own children, like they're around entrepreneurship all day long. And, you know, some parts of it they like, some parts of it they hate. Like when we have to go see homes, they hate it because we go look at the worst homes that are disgusting and they're like, oh, I want to leave here. So, but I wanted to make sure like other children had access to entrepreneurship because most in our, in our um, CPS and Chicago public schools, we don't have anything dedicated to entrepreneurship. Everything is just kind of like go to college and that's it, you know, and you don't go to college, you're going to be a loser. That's kind of like what our system over here shows. We don't even have like a big thing on trades. They kind of took the trades out of school. So that's not even big. So I wanted to make sure that the children would have access to just different aspects of entrepreneurship. So that's how that got birthed. And of course, I started with my own children. I started with Ben the Banker. And that book is inspired because my husband has been showing my oldest, my nine-year-old Ben, how to invest in the stock market. So he has been loving it. Recently, he's been having some emotional issues because the market crashed. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club, kid. Right. So he's crying <laughs> on his iPad. And I'm like, dude, you just got to like run the way. Like that's how it is. It's ups and downs with these markets. Don't look at it every day. So he's learning that. And then my other son, like a lot of parents, I struggle with the fast food thing. So I'm trying to teach him, Franklin, he's my six-year-old. He's always asking for Happy Meals. So I was like, you know what? You don't have to just be a consumer. When you get older, you can like buy a franchise. Or for now, I can just buy you some stock in a franchise. So that's the, the kind of the thing behind the book, Franklin, the franchise owner. So yep, those, those are the other two um, titles. And then we have more titles. But yeah, I just really want to make sure that children can get a full scope of what entrepreneurship is. And I always tell my kids, I'm not trying to like shove this real estate thing down your throat. If you want to take it over, I think that's great. And I would love for them to take this to another level. But if you want to go and be a lawyer or if you want to go and be a doctor or whatever, I just tell them, make sure you own your own practice. That's the only thing in this house that we say is like, if you're going to do that, whatever you do, own it. So that's just the only thing that I feed to them. So, yeah. Do you have a background in um, writing or just kind of? 
No, I don't. I did like writing in college. And, you know, when I was in college, my English teacher told me I should, you know, write for the newspaper. But at that time, I think I was so insecure that I was like, I don't, you know, I wasn't confident enough. So, but I had been writing for like a while and I couldn't get this. Uh, I was writing a novel. And I have been writing a novel for 10 years. So every year I'm looking at my laptop and it's the same script and I was getting frustrated. And so I was kind of like frustrated and I was thinking about it. And like, it was like, God was like, write what you know. And so that's how my book, Real Estate and Chill was born out of the fact that like, I wanted to write something I knew. And then I had so many people, younger people, my, my brothers, they are in their twenties, but their friends would always come to me and say, how did you get started in real estate investing? And I would give them book recommendations, but they never read it. And <laughs> so I said, well, let me title it something that the, that the millennials will pick up and read or they can listen to, um, you know, when they're exercising or out. And so that's kind of how that was born. And then the same thing with the kids' books. So, yeah, no, I don't have any professional expertise in writing. Yeah. What are the, what are the titles of the other books? Um, we have Carter, the car dealership owner. We have Sierra, the salon owner. We have Valerie, the vendor. She owns vending machines. And we have Ben, the gamer. That's my son just finished that book up because he loves to game. So um, I'm sure there's other children out there that are just like him, glued to their PS4s or whatever, Xboxes and stuff. And uh, yeah, so I think those are it for now. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Riley. And Riley, the, how could I forget Riley? Riley, the real estate investor. That, was, <laughs> that book, yeah. So that book is obviously inspired by me to teach children about real estate investing. So yes, that, that was the best the last month here. That's great. The ones that are sort of based on your kids' interests, did they help write them or are they just more kind of based on them? No, actually, they actually co-wrote them. So they actually have writing credits and everything. So they did help write. And then they kind of drew what they thought they wanted the illustrator to do before we sent it over to the illustrator. So they had a little hand in, you know, contributing to that. So, yeah. so they get paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> they get, Yeah. And they're like, can we have cards so we can pass them out to our friends so we can get our Amazon um, sales up? So it's <laughs> thing. that's awesome. That's great. That's yeah. Great. That's super cool. Okay. So on our podcast, usually we go through a few different topics that we look at and usually we orient them towards the niche that the real estate niche that someone is in. But we've talked to people who've done flips and, and buy and holds and the the kid business piece is much more interesting to me since we don't have that information out there. So I went through, usually we talk about how much knowledge it takes to get started, how much money, how much time, and how location independent a um, strategy is. But I've kind of switched these around to talk about those sort of in the vein of kids and business and what some of that looks like. So, and then after that, anything that we don't already talk about, I also have a few questions from some of my friends who have kids of their own and a lot of them are homeschoolers. So they're very interested in teaching this because they have a little bit more ability to do that since their kids don't go to school. They have more flexibility with their curriculum. So exactly. yeah, just real quick, curious, do your kids go to school or do you homeschool? No, they go to public school. Yeah. Okay. Just curious. Okay. So what do parents need to know to help support their kids getting started? I think that they just need to have like an open mind about children, you know, kind of figuring out what their interests are and you kind of just being that person there to kind of help them 
carry that out. So basically, I think that, you know, if you see your kid having some interest in something that they can make some type of money off of, try to help them carry that out as best as possible within reason, right? Mm-hmm. So like I said, like my kids wrote the books and now they want to just have some little mini business cards to pass out to their friends. You know, I think that's a cute way. And they're kind of like salesmen, right? A little bit because they're kind of like trying to sell their books to their friends. So I think just having an open mind because we are, so many of us are programmed that you just really get really good grades, which I do focus on my children getting good grades, but I also want to make sure that they don't just become so robotic that they don't really live out their own passions. Cause that's how I was. Um, I grew up that way where I was told to go to school and then my parents wanted me to be a lawyer. I went to law school, dropped out of law school after the first year. Even my classmates were like, we knew you were because you were looking at real estate when the, when the professor is, is teaching. So um, <laughs> just basically, yeah, I feel like my parents weren't that open in terms of me being an entrepreneur. So I want to be that for, for my children. So I think, yeah, just be supportive. Yeah. It's, you know, it's hard, uh, you know, when you your kids got an interest in something that people say, follow your dreams, follow, you know, follow your dreams and the money will follow. Well, that's, you know, within reason. Right. Exactly. And you got to sort of teach your kids that, Hey, it's great. You like eating pizza. Chances are you're not going to get paid for eating pizza. I wasn't, I was an actor. Uh, My parents were very much in the vein of both my sister and myself were both actors and they, my parents supported that fully as best they could. It frustrated the hell out of them that they couldn't support it more, but I never made much money at it and neither did my sister. And so, you know, I I always tell people, I have friends who bring their kids to me and say, you know, my kid's interested in acting. What can you tell them? And I I say, learn to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have a, I mean, it's nice to, if you've got some kind of other business or backup plan or investments or something else, you know, you're ahead of the game and also you have something to fall back on. And I mean, that applies to any any profession, diversifying where your money comes from is a great way to, to not be screwed over when. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what skills do you feel like your books teach kids? What are they going to get out of that? One of the things that I think it teaches is delayed gratification. And I think that's so important for children to be taught that um, at a young age. And I think it, it leads to successful adults because the reality is, that no business is built in a day. And I think we have this, we have this society because everything is so quick and convenient. You have these, these millennials and these younger generation walking around thinking that they're going to be millionaires tomorrow. And so one of my books, the, the way the books are written, it's, uh, they're written, they're basically teaching children how they started from the bottom. So Franklin started working at a a, a franchise, you know, Mm -hmm. to to earn money to purchase a car. Then Franklin went to college. Then Franklin worked as a manager there. And Franklin had to save all his earnings and get financing. So there's a process. So there's not this idea of Franklin woke up from his dream and he owned the franchise. Like, you know, so (laughs) gratification is so important to teach children, especially in the society we live in. So that's one of them. Also business vocabulary. So in the books, you'll find highlighted words like capital. What is capital? What is a a fixer upper? What is financing? What is homeownership? So those are some of the words that they'll learn so that they can kind of be ahead of the curve 
when it comes to actually if they want to start their own business or if they're just looking to buy their first property when they become 19 or 20. I mean, that's not something that can't be possible. So if they learn now, then they can start working on those goals. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, delayed delayed gratification. I totally agree with you. And especially right now, kids are flooded with with sort of unrealistic role models. Right. You know, on Instagram, they've got Instagram millionaires who, you know, oh, I just travel around the world and I, I make tons of money promoing, yeah. you know, well, and also those and, aren't necessarily true either. Correct. So. <laughs> and then you've got, I always point at this, I sort of say, you know, hey, if you think your job sucks today, uh, just remember there's a an eight year old on YouTube making $12 million right. a year, oh, you know, <laughs> opening toys, you know. <laughs> Yes. And that's another thing that that also contributes to this idea that you can be rich, but they don't see behind the scenes. I'm pretty sure that those kids are exhausted and the things that they have to do to make these videos. So I I think it's so important for them to understand that that nothing is built overnight. Um, You have to work hard at it. So and and TikTok also, they have that whole millionaire thing on TikTok now. So, yeah. Yeah. Our kids not really in the social media sphere right now. (laughs) Well, I would like to expose him to more uh, realistic business things. We already, you know, we try, but he also has grandparents who are like, what? You want something? Here you go. (laughs) Right. Exactly. The grandparents are no help. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. And like that's, you know, I guess it's a a viable strategy to just ask people for money and things, (laughs) but it doesn't teach him anything. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. All right. So money. If any of these questions don't apply, it's okay. I just kind of wrote a bunch of things down. Do you help your kids with any kind of actually creating a business, startup money, anything in those veins, or maybe you have plans to? We have plans to. So right now we're working on saving money so they can buy their own vending machines. Cool. So we're going to have a little bubble gum one and then one that'll, you know, sell snacks. So those are like the businesses that they're working on um, and they have goals on their little vision boards in their room. So we're working towards um, them using their profits from their book sales and other chores and things like that that they do to contribute to um, their vending machine. So I think that'll be good because then they get to like actually look at what the profit was after they bought the candy and what they sold. And then they'll be responsible. We'll take them there to reload everything. So I think it's just a good taste for them to get in terms of business. Yep. I've thought about having our son. I mean, he's only five now. So it's Mm -hmm. like on, we're in Las Vegas. It gets really hot in the summers. I've thought about, him taking him to the store and buying uh, a bunch of bottles of water and Gatorade and things like that. And there's a park nearby where a lot of people play volleyball and basketball and things like that. And just roll up with the, with the little uh, ice chest and, and sell it for a profit and then sit there and you know, try you and wanna, teach him that you way. You want to teach him how to have an illegal business? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's weird. That's the, that's the weird thing. There's there, know. you know, these permits, right? For like the kids. I know. Kids need a permit to have a freaking lemonade stand, you know? Exactly. But I love the spirit of that because you're, you're capitalizing off of a need because people are hot and they're playing a sport or whatever. And then you come and fill in that need. And so I think that's like the basis of entrepreneurship. You find where there's a need, you solve it and you make money off of it. So I think that that's a great idea. So you said that they make money from chores. Do you give sort of a a regular allowance or per thing they do? What does that look Uh, like in your family? They do about three or four things and then they get like $5. So 
that's just, yeah, I don't really pay off, off of it because I make sure they do all of it because I know what will happen is they'll do two of them and they'll be like, well, I got $3, so I'm cool. So, <laughs> so I force them to do all of it. All or nothing is the way we operate. So, yeah. it's a good idea. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So time-wise, what does doing this kind of stuff with your kids look like on like a daily basis? Um, on a daily basis, I don't think it takes up too much time. I think the time is like mostly allotted when we do like after school. So like recently, we've been doing readings at schools. Mm-hmm. So that takes up a little bit of time because when they get home, uh, we'll try to get some dinner in and then we will um, I have to get them dressed and get all the books prepared and everything. And then we'll get to the spot. And then a reading usually takes about an hour and then getting back to the house. So Sometimes those weekdays can be a little hectic because we have to come back home and do homework and everything. So, I mean, they like it so far. I'm trying, I don't want to burn them out. So we will do two reading tops a week, but yeah, they like it. And then as far as like we do book fairs, that takes a longer period of time because most um, where you're vending at, they want you to be there from like maybe 10 to three or something like that. So those are longer days, but what'll happen is my husband will come and um, take them like, halfway through because they get especially my six-year-old like he's running around the place at that point you know (laughs) like so my nine-year-old is a little bit better because he goes there with this this goal in mind and he's like I'm gonna sell 20 books and he doesn't want to leave until he sells those books like he's serious like Mm -hmm. he's walking around there howling people and I'm partially embarrassed because he's like (laughs) you want to buy my book so for him it's not like tiring but for my six-year-old it's too much so my husband will like let you know come in like maybe two hours into it and come pick him up and then yeah Yeah. he's done with it so that makes sense yeah do you spend a regular like weekly do you look at goals or how often do you kind of do those vision boards and the goal setting uh we look at it weekly because a, a, a lot of times for instance like we contribute to like their they have they each have their own um stock portfolios so we contribute and they contribute. So sometimes what my husband will do is see when they make certain profits, he'll pull it out and he'll put it in their savings. So obviously we look at that more on a weekly basis because he wants to see how well they did to see if we should pull that out to put it towards the goal of working towards the vending machine. So yeah, that that's mostly like a weekly thing. So, so talk to me, so tell me more about the vending machine. What, where, what type of uh, product is it vending and where is it? Like what are the well, we haven't, we're just working on it now. We wow. haven't purchased them. So they are putting money away to purchase them. So we basically want to just do one where it sells like snacks and like a juice or whatever. And then the other one, I was thinking for my six-year-old, he probably would be better off having something where he can put the gumballs in the machine mm-hmm. and charge 50 cents or something for the kids to get gumballs or something. So his will be a more smaller one. And we're just looking at our local businesses around that will just kind of let them put it in there. And yeah, so that's kind of pretty much where we're trying to just so they can have a little bit more responsibility and they can be like a real business they have to maintain, right? Because if you don't maintain it and go fill it up and things, you're not going to make any money. So I thought that was a good path to put them on. So. Yeah. And then as far as the stock portfolio, are they do they actually have money or is it, uh, are you just gaming it? Are you just, uh, did they pick stocks and you're just tracking them? Uh, I, uh, well, my husband picks most of them, but he lets them pick um, like certain things. 
So they picked like Nike. I think they picked like Fitbit because they saw how well, because my, my mom, your grandmother is obsessed with her Fitbits. And for whatever reason, they threw that out there and it actually performed really well. So they picked different things. Like right now, like I said, my nine-year-old has been devastated about how bad the market is. But we were telling him, use your um, critical thinking. What would be doing good since people are at home? What stocks and companies you think are benefiting from that so that's what we're working on this weekend so we're going to let him buy some of these stocks that have dropped significantly so when they come back up he'll be able to reap the benefits of it so that's another little lesson we're trying to teach him streaming services (laughs) (laughs) absolutely exactly streaming and delivery services yeah 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 and the tissue companies and all that and the Lysol and yeah 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 do you think that the local businesses will help you know support kind of what you're doing with your kids with the whole vending machine thing? Have you talked to any of them? Well, I'm going to set up something to go in and talk to them because a lot of these places we patronize a lot and they kind of know us, you know, familiar yeah. face. So I'm pretty sure they'll be open to it. And um, so, yeah, I think that we'll have a pretty good response in terms of getting them in there and negotiating a good rate that's not, you know, too significant for them to place their machines there. Cause obviously the business needs to make some money off of them having it there. So yeah, I think they'll be open to it. That's awesome. That sounds like a really great way to teach so many different skills. Yes. Um, yes. So that's awesome. So you said for, I'm curious what their involvement is in your real estate stuff. Okay. So for real estate, they are kind of involved in maybe like the demo level. So they like going there with daddy with the hammers and knocking down some walls and pulling up wallpaper or whatever. They do like that type of stuff. So I I, I like that they they don't mind going to the houses sometimes in the beginning stages. Mm-hmm. And then I like the fact that they get to see how ugly it is and then how nice it looks. So that's another part. I like them to see like the process and it wasn't overnight and it might've took six months or nine months, but they see there's like a, a process. So they are involved in, um, in that capacity. And then I want to like, when he gets like my oldest gets a little bit older, I want him to kind of look at the rents and look at the expenses so he can kind of understand how that side of the business is run. Are there any systems that have helped, helped make it easier for you to kind of do this with your kids? I don't think there's really any systems. Um, I mean, yeah, we just pretty much bring them with us because uh, we may not have a sitter at that time. And sometimes um, when these properties come on the market, you have to see them like as soon as possible. So like you may not have a sitter. So the kids just got to come with you and it just forces them to be a part of it. And yeah, so when I'm showing a property, sometimes I might not have a sitter. So the kids had to go with me. So they get to see the process of me screening. So yeah, it's by default. Yeah. Yeah. No, we totally get it. We do not have a sitter right now. And for those who may be watching this video someday in the future, (laughs) if it's on YouTube, my husband has left (laughs) because the child needs bumble gum. (laughs) Sometimes he's great during some interviews when we can't find someone to watch him. And then other times he's just really needy and he's an only child. So he's, you know, he has to kind of distract himself. So I have a needy six year old, so I can totally relate. He is, it's, it's sometimes he's really good. And the next time he might be under this, this desk in a few minutes. So yeah. never yeah. know. Yeah. So it's fine. What's nice is we've got the two of us so we can kind of. Exactly. Yeah. As a team. Okay. 
All right. So location dependence. This might be a question that really doesn't apply to you right now, but do you feel like maybe in the future that you'll have to concentrate on doing things that are local with your kids? Or do you feel like some kind of, I mean, you guys don't really do long distance investing generally anyway. No, but I think that's something we want to get to in the future. I was telling my brother, he lives in Florida. So I want to buy something with him there because I feel like he's on the ground. He is 26 years old. He wants to get into real estate. So I would love to partner with him because, you know, I can kind of mentor him, but then he can be my eyes and ears on the ground. So I do want to look into like some Florida investments and honestly, we would love to go to Nevada and um, and do some investing there. So that's actually where we want to retire and would love to go. So that's on our list. Yep. Well, if you're ever going to be in town, we'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. Not, it's not big enough for you to stay in our casita or would offer it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you could, but I think it would be tight with two kids and two adults. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. very small. But if you want to do a play date or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. A bolt or ch- children playing. <laughs> exactly. All right. So what do you feel like is a critical skill besides, I mean, we talked about delayed gratification, a couple of things. Are there any other critical skills that you feel like you, your kids um, need or you're, you're looking for them to learn through doing some of this business and investing with you guys? Um, leadership skills. I think that's really important because if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be able to lead. And you don't want to be an entrepreneur that's just a one-man show. So that means you need to learn how to delegate. And also the leadership skills I'm trying to impart on my children because I don't want them to be followers, right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes children get away from what their purpose and goals are in life because they're trying to follow what's popular or what they think that their friends would like to see them doing. So I think it's so important for leadership skills, because that's basically going to lead to success. So um, that's, I feel like the books kind of impart that little bit of leadership because the kids kind of march to the beat of their own drum in the books. So I think that that was another thing that my husband and I are kind of working on. Um, even when we're dealing with them and they're going to different schools, he's talking to them about posture and, you know, speaking clearly and loudly so people can hear you and, and things like that. So trying to, kind of get a command of the room. I mean, they're young now, but we're just trying to kind of like mold that so they can have that confidence and that, you know, that leadership that they need. That's awesome. If you could go back, I mean, it hasn't been very long, but do you feel like there's anything you might've done differently if you'd like started, um, if you could restart with your kids or? Mm-hmm. No, I really don't think that I would have done anything differently. I kind of like the path that we're on. Yeah, I think that I kind of pretty much would keep it the the way that it is. Yeah, I, I think it's a good balance that we have. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody is overwhelmed or anything um, by what we have going on. So I would keep it this way. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have any advice for parents, busy families that are looking to get into real estate or maybe any other entrepreneurship, you know, some kind of business and they want to get their kids involved? Do you have any advice that you would give that those people? I would say that uh, try when you want to integrate the children into the business that you're trying that you're looking into, don't overwhelm them. So, for instance, my husband he grew up where his parents like owned a little bakery, and then he had to go there a lot. He resented it, and he says that to this day. Like I hate it. He doesn't even like the smell of bakery. Like who can? <laughs> 
the smell of donuts. But <laughs> that is because he felt like, you know, I was forced here. I always, I spent my weekends here. So don't try to like go at it too much. Like give them a little taste. Like I said, for our children, they're not involved in the entire process. They will come there for demo and have fun with kind of like, you know, knocking down walls or doing things like that. But we're not trying to make them sit down and do the books with us, right? So you, you just kind of have to take it slowly. Don't force feed it to them. <laughs> little boom at a, you know, little at a time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That makes yeah. sense. It's, it's definitely, I think a couple times we've tried to do things and it's just, he's not, you know, Holden's not ready for it. And even just, we have some of the Dave Ramsey books mm-hmm. and I think, I I haven't done it yet, but I plan to to purchase some of your books actually, because he likes reading the Dave Ramsey ones, yeah. and even if he's not really like fully grasping yeah. what they're trying to teach yeah. yet, I think it's all you know it's in there. Absolutely, I love that. I love that. I think I'm gonna start having my children read business books. I was looking at a meme that was saying that, like you know, and I'll probably pay them to, to do it because yeah, they, I don't want to do it on their own, but. I like that idea of just, you know, introducing him to that. Yeah. Yeah. Young age. Yeah. You go Mr. Money Mustache style. He like yeah. gives small amounts of money for like everything from what I, I mean, I haven't looked at that, but like, I think Neil was telling me he gives money for like how much time they spend outside and I think yeah. how many books or how many pages they read a bunch of different things, which yeah. is kind of cool. Any sort of behavior that he likes, he basically gives them Rewards. a little okay. bit of money for. Yeah. yeah. I think they mostly do like investment portfolios that they then like watch. So he's not really giving them a a ton of cash. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of speaking at this from like a amorphous. I haven't really sat down and like fully read it recently. So if anyone is listening, like go find that, (laughs) go find that blog and acquaint yourself. So, all right. So these are the questions. I'm going to go through some of the questions that my friends um, provided me. There's not a lot of them. So we'll go real quick. I think we kind of covered this, but you know, my friend was asking about age appropriate financial responsibility. Maybe you could tell us the difference between how um, your nine-year-old is sort of involved with his finances versus your six-year-old. Exactly. So my nine-year-old is a lot more active in terms of he actually looks at his portfolio every day and he's actually telling us like when he gets paid from his book fairs and um, he gets his payment for the books he sold, he will tell us like what he wants to contribute to and like if he wants to put in savings, stocks or whatever. We're trying to integrate like tithing into that because I want them to get used to also um, tithing. But he kind of makes those decisions where my six-year-old he loves to actually wear all of his money. So what I mean is like he wants his in his wallet where he can see it every night, you know? (laughs) And so for him, looking at the screen means nothing to him. So he likes to actually have it in his wallet, show it off to some people that come and visit, you know? (laughs) He likes that. So that's that's how it's kind of different. It's just that uh, he wants to see his money and be able to go to Target and buy something where my oldest is kind of like, he doesn't want to buy anything. He's focused on his financial goal. So, yeah. Well, Holden, and what's your younger son name? Son's name? Franklin. The yeah, six-year-old yes. Franklin. Yeah. And Franklin would probably yes. love each other. Yeah. <laughs> I know recently my child, you know, who's got my husband wrapped around his little finger goes oh. like, Daddy, we haven't gone to Target in a really oh. long time. He's like, we haven't done any Legos. Oh my 
my God. And next thing I know, I come home to this giant Ninjago Lego set that they're working on. I'm like, how much did you spend on that? That's my husband. And, and <laughs> it, it happens every time I'm gone for like a long period. Like if I have to do a speaking, they're at Target. And then I'm looking at this Target receipt. That's really <laughs> I think they're even supposed to go today because my Franklin wants Pokemon cards because they've been trading them secretly every mm-hmm. set. And so he wants some Pokemon cards, but it won't be that. It'll be Legos, video mm-hmm. games, and yeah, they just get ridiculous at Target. So Yeah, that's my father-in-law is the one that usually does the most spoiling yeah. there. Um, so he, it was, um, he, he guilted me. It was such <laughs> guilt because I, I, I have a full-time job. Yeah, we've got a real estate that we're you know that we're yep. working on and and podcast and podcast. <laughs> and I always feel like I'm never quite giving him enough time, and so he just yeah. hit me right at the right. He I don't know. He probably knew exactly what he was doing, <laughs> yeah. but right, exactly. he got me right at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's fine. Well, Franklin and Holden, if you guys do come yeah. and bring your kids, I think uh, <laughs> I think a play date is in order. All right, so. What are the top three money lessons that you want your kids to learn? I want them to understand that they the money will grow quicker if they invest the money. That's important. I also want them to understand that they should also have savings. And then the third lesson, I want them to understand that money is not everything. It's a tool to make your life better, but it's not everything. There are certain values in life that are more important and things like your health, like, you know, I explain that to them all the time. Like, don't take that for granted. So those are some of the things that money is not everything. You know, your health is important. Your family, you have a roof over your head, things like that. So, but yes, investing, I want them. That's why I think the stock portfolio was so um, good for Ben to actually see that, okay, you put that $500 in and now look at it, it's like worth $653, you know, because you had it because it increased, whereas it was sitting in the savings account, you didn't get that much interest. But then I also explain it, you do have to have some liquid savings as well, because you don't want to just have all your money invested. So those are some of the things that we're trying to impart on them. Well, I really like I when I first looked at your Instagram account, one of the things that sort of drew me to it was that you talk about other things besides like, let's make money, let's make money, let's make money. You are looking to create a well-rounded human that is, is healthy in a number of, a number of ways. So that's Mm -hmm. nice because I think sometimes people go to the extremes with things. And as we've kind of talked about throughout this interview, if you do that, it kind of, it puts your kids off. So yeah. But it's a great way. I mean, you can teach someone like, okay, you know, if, if health health is important and if you're going to spend some money, maybe buying one of those Fitbits might be, exactly. you know, like a, a way to get yeah. both out of it. So, mm-hmm. and then my, the last question, my friend was curious when you guys like uh, rehab a house, mm-hmm. how much involvement are they in the like decorating or, or rehab piece? Do they help pick anything? Yeah, so I, I do let them, like if I'm looking for flooring or something like that, or mo- I think it's being on the tile thing. So when we're doing like our backsplash in the kitchen or we're doing the um, tile inside the bathtub, we definitely let them choose on that. So yeah, and then like, I don't really let them choose the paint color because honestly, I use the same paint for every property. So I don't let them choose on that, but I will let them come in here and take a brush and go up and down and then I'll take it because I'm annoyed. And so, <laughs> but uh, they do kind of get a little bit of leeway in like how it's going to be designed. So, yeah. 
That's awesome. Okay, quick experiment here. We've got two six-year-olds, Franklin and Holden, here to uh, talk about kids and money. You're almost six. Five and a half. All right. <laughs> oh, all right. And now, Franklin and Holden. <laughs> Do you have any questions for Franklin about what kind of business stuff he does with his mommy and daddy? What do you do with with your mommy and daddy? Little books. Say it again. Sell books. We sell books. Cool. <laughs> Franklin, did you help write those books? Yeah. What do you think about that, Holden? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> do you think you could be an author? Yeah. Gotta speak. It's a podcast. Yeah, I could. Awesome. Franklin, if you could write a book about anything that you haven't already written a book about, what would it be? Mm-hmm. You know, what other stuff would you like to write about? Outside? Outdoor stuff? He loves to play outside. So. Awesome. What would you like to write a book about, Holden? Sushi. That's alive. Sushi that's alive? <laughs> That sounds like a fun one. Maybe Papa can illustrate your book for you. Why? Because Papa's an artist. Pop Pop? Or Pop Pop. Yes, Pop Pop. Sorry. Our grandparent names are too close together on the grandfather's side. It's Papa and Pop Pop. Oh, yeah. yeah, That's really close. Pop Pop. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. Did you know that Franklin is going to have a bubblegum vending machine? I was just eating bubblegum a minute ago. So you... One of Franklin's customers. Yes. Do you think you'd spend your money in a in a like a gumball machine? Uh huh. Because I like I I have cousin friend Uh-oh. Max. I think it it rolls. He's our friends. He's family friends. He's kind of like your cousin. Okay. Like my my friend cousin and. Your friend, we got it. Your friend, your friend Max. Your friend Max. My friend Max has a gumball machine. Oh, that is so nice. Is it in his room? Yeah, it's in his room. He gave one of his toys to me a long time ago. It was Bumblebee. Where is your bubblegum machine going to be, Franklin? In a business. He's going to sell bubblegum to other people. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Franklin, thank you for joining us on the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Maybe you and Holden can have a play date if you come to Las Vegas. Yeah. Come play with us. You want to play with Franklin? Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Well, that was the thank you, Franklin. What do you say? Say thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Franklin. Bye. Well, Panji, thank you so much for sharing with us today and Franklin as well and Holden. If any of our our listeners want to learn more about what you're doing, uh, what would be the best way for for them to find out what you're up to? You can follow us on... Instagram um, at little and then underscore owners. And then you can also find us on Facebook at little owners and our books on amazon.com. So that's amazon.com slash author slash little owners. And you'll find all the books entitled there. So, and we'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks again, Panji.
Thank you. You guys have a good day. Okay, that was Ponji Barnes from Little Owners. Uh, that was uh, one of the more unique episodes we've had, but one of my more enjoyable ones as well. Yes, yeah. It's I always like talking to other parents, which, I mean, obviously this is a family podcast, but we get a surprisingly few amount of actual parents <laughs> on here, unfortunately, probably because this is hard for families to do unless they've started beforehand. So things like this, I think, are really important because even if a parent can't fully do a real estate business themselves, even just exposing their children to entrepreneurship and, you know, kind of maybe helping them get on the road to being able to do that when they're a little bit older. Did you have any key lesson that you felt like you got out of this interview? For me, I would say don't overwhelm your kids. You want to want to get them involved in entrepreneurship and your business and things like that, but let them be kids as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want them, like Panji talked about her husband, to resent it later on because you, you wanted to involve them and show them the meaning of hard work and, and yeah. what, what it's like to work in a business. Because a lot of times what you, all you'll do is just make them hate it and then they'll want to do something completely different. Yeah. When they grow up. yeah. And also like you're creating like a, an employee and that's, you know, I don't know that that's a relationship that I want to have with my, my child in that way, like a forced employee. So I think for me, one of the lessons was just to go with your kids' interests if you can and start at their level. So, you know, like we talked about the nine-year-old versus the six-year-old, the six-year-old feels very adamant that he wants to see his money. And so seeing a number on screen doesn't mean anything to him because, you know, that's sort of a, um, an amorphous value. Like they're a six-year-old, they're typically actually don't know what yeah, he's probably, if he's in kindergarten, first grade, I don't know. Our kid goes to an accelerated program. So forgive me. Our child is learning like the coin values, <laughs> but that's still sort of a, an interesting topic. Like yeah. how do you understand what, what the value of things are and what it adds up to? Because before I could probably give him like 10 pennies and you think it was just as good as 10 quarters because he didn't understand the, the value. So I could see how like a screen would kind of do the same thing. That number means nothing, but having the physical bills and change would, would feel a little bit more solid and yeah. better to a six-year-old. So gotcha. anyway, what do you feel like was a key piece of knowledge? And I guess you can talk about something that she needed for when they got started with real estate or um, something that, you know, parents should know. Sure. I'll, I'll talk, I'll talk, mention real estate. And this was mainly a lesson learned from, for her on her first flip, which is be really solid with your numbers and know, know what, what all is going to be involved. You know, and we've, this is an experience we've, we've had when we had closing costs on our, our burr that I knew were going to happen. They were just a little bit more than I thought they were going to be. Uh, so it wasn't a yeah. killer. And then you put that on top of the unexpected yeah. chimney repair and it, it yeah. yeah but she she ended up having to she thought she was gonna make a $10,000 profit and ended up having to come $1,100 out of pocket because she didn't hadn't really researched exactly what all was going on with this property so yeah. know your numbers do your due diligence yeah um, I think you know for in the kid realm probably having some basic knowledge for yourself of some business skills but also 
I think we talked about like delayed gratification was important for kids to learn and that business vocabulary. So those were kind of the knowledge pieces that she felt was really important for the kids. And I think those are also important for adults to sort of get out of this who are getting, who are trying to teach their kids and, and also getting started. It doesn't come quickly and there's setbacks backs typically. And also like you need to kind of know your lingo and, and have your, you know, it's kind of like in the numbers vein. If you don't know what a closing cost is or, you know, what what's involved in that, the actual like definition of those things, you can be led astray. Yeah. Did you catch how much money it took them to get started? I don't know if we talked about that. It was, well, she started, she started, started back in the wild and woolly days of zero uh, percent down. They were, Oh, they so were, she just got like a mortgage on that first flip. She is that did. correct? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it probably zero percent down. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was right before. Yeah. Nowadays, to, nowadays, if you're going to do a flip, a hard money lender is probably going to make you put at least 10% down. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have points on top of that. And you're going to have, if you're just starting off, you're going to be uh, paying a pretty high rate. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, they just took their profits from flips and invested those using cash to purchase yep. their buy and hold. So Gotcha. And time. How much time do they spend on their real estate? We didn't get an exact number. Uh, we talk but, more in the kid range. Yeah, but she's uh, she's a full-time investor, so I guess that she's doing this all the time. She's also uh, managing her properties, which if she's got systems in place, doesn't take that long. Yeah, she's probably spending a lot of time on the... It sounds like she spends most of her time actually on the book Correct. piece, yeah. which is cool. Yeah, It's always neat to see you know entrepreneurs doing different things. That, um, well, and it it's... Um, to me, it's an example of what happens when you have built up enough passive income to mm -hmm. basically go off and do something that's more meaningful than, yeah. you know, whatever yeah. it was you're doing. That you get to enjoy. And I mean, even her husband, you know, he enjoys working in his job. So he keeps that and he maybe doesn't necessarily have to, but he doesn't have to, he also doesn't have to worry about like keeping it at the same time, you know, if something were to happen. But since he enjoys it, that's what he continues to do. Yep which is nice for the kids. You know, they do weekly sort of goal setting sessions and things like that. So not a lot of time, I mean, obviously they're spending a little bit more because they're doing their, they're doing the readings. So taking the books to schools and doing little presentations. So a couple hours. Yeah. I, yeah. I would say, I would say all, all told she's probably put in 20 to 30 hours a week. Yeah. And could they do their real estate strategy anywhere in the world? You know, that would be right now. I would say she couldn't. She doesn't have a property manager right now. Yeah. She's managing her properties on her own. She might be able to manage them as long as there's not a showing. Yeah. She could probably manage it from her phone and from her computer. But the, the issue that you run into with rental properties when you're self managing is that you have to do the showings. So you've got to have yeah. somebody there opening up property yeah. and showing it to them. Yeah. Taking up. It sounded like she was looking for someone, though. She's just yeah. struggling to find a quality. <laughs> property manager, yes. which we've talked about probably at least a few times yes, on how they can be difficult to find. And even when they start off good, they can oftentimes end up not great yes. <laughs> as they take more clients on. So, all right. That's all for this week. Yeah. Let's hit the road. Bye. And if you like this podcast, 
We would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.